You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you've got your Bible, I'll encourage you to just keep it open. We're going we're gonna to walk through it nice and slow uh, and talk about several of, of what I think the most important implications are for us this morning. But starting in verse 1, it says this, And you, you all... Us, we, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you all, we, together, once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the word of the Lord. I snuck that one in on you, I know. So, uh, like, like I said, we're jumping into the middle of the text here, but what we clearly need to understand before we jump into this particular portion is that there is a shared human condition that is being described by Paul that is universal. So he doesn't leave room for anyone to not be covered by these first four verses. That's that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked if we're in Christ, right? That there is a spiritual death that resides in us because of our sin, and that it is a death that we cannot resurrect ourselves from. And yet, as Cole made so clear, abundantly clear last week, someone has intervened on our behalf. Someone stepped into our unsolvable problem, stepped into our rock and hard place, and has drawn us up out of that reality, right? And that's ultimately what verse 4 is all about, which has two of my favorite words, not verses, two of my favorite words in the Bible. When Paul says, this was your situation, this was your reality, you were in a grave, your, your body lifeless in a spiritual sense, unable to resurrect itself, but God. But God intervenes into our lives because of the great love with which He loves us. He intervenes even though we were dead in our trespasses. And what's remarkable about that reality is that the trespasses are not just sort of this this isolated thing over here. Well, you had this issue that God didn't really have anything to do with, but He stepped in and cleaned up your mess for you. No, see, the, the trespasses, the tres 
past is we were trespassing on God's glory, trespassing into the realm of God's authority. So listen, it's, it's God who is the one that was offended in our trespasses. And yet it is God who, overlooking the trespasses because of His great love for us, makes us alive together with Christ. And it is out of that reality that that Paul begins to then describe what, what was happening underneath that action of God. What was it that drove this God who had been trespassed against to love in spite of the trespass, so much so that He would remove from us not only the stain of sin, but the penalty of death and make us alive together with His own perfectly pleasing Son. I love how Paul writes because I can almost, I can feel him being so giddy to get to the good news. That's why there's this interjection and that's why we kind of took half of verse 5 this morning. He says, by grace you have been saved. It's like, okay, by grace you've been saved. He's like, wait a minute, I've got to back up a little bit. By grace you've been saved. But listen, God made you alive together with Christ, seated you with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus for one specific reason. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now listen, there is something important for us to note about that that exclamation of Paul's at the beginning when he says, by grace you have been saved, and then he repeats himself. Just a couple of short verses later, he says, by grace you have been saved. Paul's making a point here. Sandwiched in between the grace is the resurrecting work of God, not only for Jesus, but for those whom He has raised from their spiritual death. And so the point that Paul is making is this. The resurrection event, that moment when Jesus' lifeless body, when His dry and empty veins, when His not beating heart took life again, blood coursed through again, heart pumped again, lungs pushed breath out again, that moment, that event in human history is the event that signs and seals God's grace for us forever. And that is why the resurrection for the Christian is really and truly the seminal, central event in all of human history. Some of us like to think that it's the cross, right? And, I, and that's, it, it's not bad to look at the cross. Cross and resurrection go together. But listen, Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the cross happens without the resurrection, our hope is dead. Foolish, vain, worth nothing. And so it's the resurrection, Paul makes it clear, that is the seminal act in human history. It is the thing that establishes this posture that God now has towards us. And so what it means for you and I, brothers and sisters, is that grace is now and evermore the disposition of God towards His people. That grace is now and evermore God's power securing salvation for His people. Because of what Jesus has done. I want us to sit in that for just a minute because here's, maybe this is just me. In in the world that we inhabit today, I I walk around uh, always looking over my shoulder. 
I'm always careful about what I should say, what I should post, what, right? Because not, not just because I might offend someone. Look, I'm, I'm well aware that I'm not going to say everything right. I'm well aware that I don't have all the right ideas. I'm well aware that, that I am likely wrong in a hundred different scenarios. I'm okay with that reality. I'm okay with even being told that. But the, but, but the reality is that we inhabit a culture that right now is grace devoid. So I'm aware that I can be wrong, but I'm not given grace when I am wrong. And I, again, I don't know if it's just me, but seriously, every time I go to post something, even the most inane thing on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, right? It's like, well, if I say it this way, then someone could say, blah, 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 right? And you've got, you've, it's haunting. It's this weight that's always on you, right? If I say this about this situation, if I say this about it, then it's going to make this person do this, and, and, right? And that's where the vitriol comes in, and it's this whole, like, I mean, it's, it's just crazy. And I think sometimes the gracelessness of our culture influences the way we look at, at, at God. Right? Because the, the, the reality is that other humans can be offended with us and that's all good and fine. It's going to happen. It's natural. It's normal. But listen, Paul makes it very clear. We've offended a holy God. We've trespassed against him. I'm thankful for that language because it makes it so clear that we've stepped into the area of God's domain and authority and we've, we've tried to usurp him in that. And so if I feel that weight with other people, like, should I not also feel that weight with God of like, he's always kind of like, uh, don't do that. Uh, don't, uh, uh. And what we're being told here is that because of the resurrection, because of Jesus' work on our behalf, because of him drawing us out of our sin-laden death and into his glorious life, God's disposition is now grace towards us. There's a wonderful freedom to be found in that reality of knowing that God is not standing over you going, uh-uh, nope, messed it up again, nope, nope. Uh, uh, uh. But that like a child, he's, he's lovingly guiding us around the potholes, guiding us over the steps, helping us take that next leap that's maybe a little bit too big for us, right? That he's, he's engaged in our lives in that way. That is his posture towards those of us who are in Christ this morning. And so it goes on to tell us that it is by this grace that we have been saved. Now, what is the amount of the grace? I think, again, for, for me, I, I tend to think of things uh, in the sense that there's, there, there's, a, there's a termination, like there's a time when the cup is finally empty, right? That at some point it runs out, right? That everything sort of has an expiration date. Everything has an end moment. And yet, Paul tells us here that we've been, we've been saved by grace so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. So we've been saved by grace so that Jesus might put on display his immeasurable grace. And that is also good news this morning. So listen, 
God's disposition towards us is grace in Christ Jesus, and that grace, brothers and sisters, does not run out. Praise God this morning. His grace does not run out. It is immeasurable, right? So think of that moment when Aladdin walks into the cave of wonders and it all opens up before him and as far as the eyes can see, there is gold and jewels and everything else. In that moment, there is immeasurably more than even that of God's grace for us this morning because of what Jesus has done. And so this begs begs a question, right? Well, if, if God's disposition towards me is grace because of Jesus, and if that grace is immeasurable, what does sin matter? Or to put it the way that Paul put it in Romans chapter 6, should we sin more that grace might abound? And of course, Paul's answer in Romans chapter 6 is by no means, by no means. Well, why? Let's keep reading. It says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So we've been saved by grace through faith. We've talked a lot about grace. What about faith? Well, I think there's a number of ways that that word can be understood. The word faith. What does faith mean? What is faith? I'm going to propose for us a very simple definition. A very simple definition of faith. Faith is this. Faith is the ever-increasing trust in Christ for salvation, but also every spiritual blessing. Faith is very simple. Faith is trusting Jesus when He has something to say to us. It means that every time we pick up the Word of God and we read it and it either demands something of us or speaks something to us, we trust it. And we trust it by living in light of it. That's it. That's a very simple definition for what faith is. Now, if that's the definition of faith, What is sin ultimately at its core? Sin is trusting anything other than Jesus. So if faith is ever increasingly putting our faith in Jesus, sin being the opposite of that necessarily is going in the opposite direction. We see it all the way at the beginning. The moment that sin enters the world, what happens, right? God has given Adam and Eve a good command. He's given them a good world to live in. He's given them everything. And all He does is He asks for them to trust Him, right? Everything is yours. Just believe me, you don't want to eat from that tree. Just trust me. As if there were not enough evidence around them that God is trustworthy, right? Just trust me. And yet we we know the story, don't we? They choose to trust the words of the serpent 
and their own abilities rather than what God has already told them. That's sin. That's when sin enters the world. That's the defining action behind our sin. So our sin is not the, actually the, the perpetration of the act, although that's part of it. Our sin is not trusting Jesus enough when He tells us that that thing is not good for us. Or that life should be lived a certain way. Or that we should be a certain kind of person. And so if we're saved by grace through faith, and if sin is the antithesis of faith, if sin is us actively walking away from faith, or better yet, placing our faith in something else other than Jesus, then by no means should we sin more that grace might abound. And so, brothers and sisters, this, for me, makes sense of one of the Bible's more confusing verses. There's a verse in the Bible that says this, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Now, repentance, what does that word mean? Well, depending on what Christian circle you grew up in or if you have no familiarity uh, with sort of the, the, the Christian culture that we tend to create when we get together, re- repentance is very simple. Repentance is acknowledging our sin. And it can be privately before the Lord when we have moments of confession before Him together in this gathering or in other times and places. But often it's also public because often our sin affects somebody else. So we're going and we're saying, I've wronged you or I've done wrong in this way. That needs to be acknowledged. And I, and I turn and I place my faith back in Jesus, right? Those conversations or those kinds of confessions are often so uncomfortable, (laughs) right? Like, I don't know anybody in here, and if you're there, I'd love to talk to you because you're probably holier than me, but I don't know anybody that thinks about the act of repentance and goes, yes, I can't wait to repent. And yet the Bible says it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Many of us, again, because we picture God a certain way, feel like, feel like when we repent, it's like, God's, it's like God's just turning the knife a little bit more. It's like, okay, now that you know you're bad, you should feel bad too. And yet again, the, the, the Bible is just utterly and absolutely clear that it is God's kindness to us. So that's the second time we've heard that word today. It's it's God's grace and His immeasurable riches of kindness. That's why we've been saved, right? And it is also kind that He would lead us to repentance. Why? Because repentance is turning trust away from self and others and towards God. Repentance is literally the act of faith. It is the thing that builds, grows, deepens, and enlarges our trust in Jesus. Repentance is the outward walk of faith. It's us actively saying with our mouths and hopefully from then on with our lives that we trust Jesus. It's that simple. And so here's what that means. If you've been in Christian circles for any amount of time, you've probably heard 
the idea or at least the language of, I just want to grow deeper in my faith. Right? Has anybody said that? I've said that. I, I just want to grow deeper in my faith. And what I think Paul makes very clear here is that growing in our faith and growing in our knowledge of the faith are two very different things. I'm going to say that again. Growing in our faith and growing in our knowledge of the faith are two very different things. Faith is very, very simple. If you want to grow in your faith in Jesus, all you have to do is begin to trust Him in every area of your life that He's inviting you to trust Him in. You want to grow in your faith? Trust Jesus. That's it. That's all it is. When he tells you that you should give of a tithe to the church, trust him. Oh, well, the church isn't trustworthy and the leaders have done this and this, that, and the other. Just trust him. Trust him that it's good for you. You don't have to trust the system. Trust him and what he says to you. Jesus says you shouldn't have sex with someone who's not your husband or your wife. Yeah, but like that was like 2,000 years ago and things are different now and blah, 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 blah. Just trust Him. You want to grow in your faith? Trust Him. Trust Him when He tells you that He's enough in the absence of a sex life. Trust Him when He says or when you think that losing 10% of your income to be generous with other people is, is going to necessarily hamper some joys in your life. Trust Him when He says that's better for you. Trust Him when He says that it's better to be poor than rich. Trust Him when He says that you can find ways to be rich and be faithful to Him. Try, like, trust Him in those things. That's all it is. So listen, that's not to say that faith is absent of knowledge, right? But it is to say that if we never apply the knowledge, if we never actually trust Jesus in the things that we know to be true, in the things that He's taught us, in the things that we know in His Word, then our faith isn't growing. Just our heads are. And I say this as the most guilty person in this room of that. It is as we trust knowledge of the faith that our faith actually grows. It is as we trust the Lord of the faith that our faith actually grows. Now, Here's what's mind-boggling, though, as we, as we sort of draw to a close. It is very tempting as we read this set of verses to say, okay, grace is what God does, and faith is what we do. God gives grace, we give faith. But the way that this is written just grammatically makes an entirely different point or, or is entirely different from that understanding. Let's read it again. This is what it says in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, here's what we need to know. When Paul says, and this, 
he is talking not only about the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus, he is also talking about the faith through which we have been saved. And so both the grace, both the work necessary to seal God's kindness towards us, both, both the, the sinful death, that is our sins put upon Him, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus securing God's grace to us and the ability to place our faith in that grace, both of those things are gifts of God. And so listen, I love that Paul completely levels the playing field for everyone when he says, right, that, that all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins like the rest of who? Mankind. Every single one. But here's what also happens. It's more subtle. But here's what also happens when he says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It levels the playing field in the church. Because here's the thing. I think a lot of times we all go, okay, like grace is what God does. Faith is what I do. I've got more faith than you. I'm better than you. Sit back and listen to me or whatever that relationship needs to look like. Or look at that person. They're so sinful. It's a good thing I'm not. That person didn't bring their Bible to church today. I brought my Bible to church today. Right? I mean, it's silly, it's silly, it sounds silly, but it's true, isn't it? I've done that before. I've looked around and compared myself. Said, man, I'm, you know, just further along. Hey, maybe I'm the only one up here repenting, but. But here's what that means. If the grace and the faith are the gift of God, it means that if you have more faith than your brother or sister this morning, it is not because you are somehow better. It is simply because you are a bit further down the path that Jesus is leading us all down. Because the reality is at the end of each and every one of our journeys, at the end of each and every one of our journeys is a perfected, glorified human being in the image, in the likeness of Christ Jesus. Right? So you're going to look like Jesus. You're going to be perfected like Jesus. You're going to be holy like Jesus. And so am I. And we're all headed that same direction. So guess what? It really doesn't matter if one of us has more faith or the other. In fact, if you have more faith, Paul tells us that you now have responsibility for those who have less faith to bring them along with you. Because we're all heading towards the same end. And that is a life perfected in Christ because of Christ, because of the grace of Christ, because of the faith that Christ has given us in the grace of Christ. And so make no mistake. We are all completely level before God and His holiness because of what Christ has done. And so if the church has ever felt like a hierarchy before you, it's because... It's because the people within it have not trusted in what Jesus tells us to be true by a spirit through the pen of Paul.
Now, with that said, um, I, I, want, I want to conclude this way. I don't want to make the assumption that every one of us in, in the room this morning has experienced the grace, the saving grace, and the faith that Christ gives to us. Um, and so if that's you, I just, uh, just want to talk for a, a minute and make something very clear. Um, because we so often conflate faith or deep faith or growing faith as knowledge, we tend to believe that in order to have faith, we have to have all the answers to every question. And if nothing else, what I would have you see from this text is that faith is absolutely not having the answer to every question. Faith is trusting Jesus for the next step. That's all it is. I've got a ton of questions about my future. I've got a ton of questions about my family's future. I've got a ton of questions about what the rest of this day is going to bring, right? I've, got, like, I've still got questions about how God has organized everything and why things are the way they are and why this has to be this way and why this has to be that way and tons of questions. But faith is just taking the next step of trusting Jesus. And for some of you today, you just need to take the first step. You're going to have questions. You're going to have lots of questions. In fact, more questions than you probably have right now are coming for you if you take this first step in the journey of following Jesus. But I want to invite you to tell Jesus right now that you trust Him even though you don't know exactly what that means. Even though you don't know exactly what that will mean for tomorrow. If that's you, I want you to know that you can trust His grace for you in those questions. And I want you to know that it's His kindness that will lead you in repentance as you are transformed, Romans 12 says, according to His Word, as you are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And so again, if, if living in this kind of community, in this kind of kingdom that Jesus is building where the ground is leveled and where grace is for everyone and where, where faith is a slow trudge and where we ask the questions and we trust Jesus and we walk together and we hold one another on that journey, if that's something that you're interested in today, then I want to invite you to place your faith in this sufficient work of Jesus on your behalf to admit that you don't have it all together, that, that you alone are hopeless, but that Jesus has come to give you hope. And then I want you to come and find me afterwards, and I want to talk to you. And then for those of us in the room who've maybe been Christians for a long time, it is very easy for us to doubt or to question whether or not the grace of God has finally run out for us. Maybe it's been a long week filled with sin and difficulty and brokenness and heartache and everything else in between. Maybe 
you can think of multiple instances where you have trusted in your own way or trusted in the promises of something or someone else rather than the promises or the person of Jesus. I want you to remember that our resurrected and alive King Jesus is not a king who is looking to be impressed by you. You are not some jester in his court that as long as you put enough bells on it, as long as you put enough makeup over your face, as long as you, as long as you dress the part, as long as you dance the jig, as long as you say the things, then he'll be impressed with you. Ephesians makes it very clear that Jesus is a king sitting above the heavens who is actively, actively, not passively, but actively looking to lavishly spend his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness. That is who he is. That is what he is doing. And so this morning, you can again, maybe for the hundredth time today, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, Again, God, we're so grateful to be gathered together in your presence, your holy presence, God. And we get to stand boldly in that presence because of the work of Jesus in all of our brokenness, in all of our sin, in all of our doubt, in all of our hurt, in all that we are. We get to come before your holy throne because we've been washed, cleaned, transformed, made new, made alive, seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus as his own brother, as your sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray that because that is true and because you have so richly and so generously shown us that grace, Lord, that we would trust you for everything else. In all of our questions, in all of our doubts, that we would go to your word, that we would go to your people, that we would go to your spirit, and that we would ask you, Lord, to make it clear what the next step is and that that would be enough. And Lord, remind us that there is a day coming when we are finally and fully set free from the bondage of sin and death. We are raised to new life in Christ where our bodies are like His body. And our faith is complete. And the work is fully done. And there is nothing left to do but to worship and to praise and to enjoy communion with you and with one another, unhindered by any brokenness, shame, guilt, fear, or other such thing. We trust in you for the promise of that future day, and we look forward to it even now and ask, God, that you would come and come quickly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.